Amen. So get a long look at the carpet and enjoy. No, this will be a lot of fun. RSVP. No RSVP, right? We know what that means. Many of you have received an RSVP card one way or another, and you've received one, and, and you know that when you get an RSVP, you know that you, you, you're to respond, right? RSVP. In French, répondez s'il vous plaît. Literally means, please respond, right? Many of you get RSVPs to come to a wedding or to go to a shower or to, or to be a part of a party. And some of you get that RSVP and bam, you're all over it. And you just fill it out and send it back. Some of you get that Evite and you say to yourself, I'm not opening it because they're going to know I opened it and I don't necessarily want to go. Right? I don't know. But I'm telling you, we get that moment. But it's an invitation to respond. Uh, several weeks ago, we had our Easter service and a bunch of you raised your hands to make a decision to either commit for the first time or to rededicate your life to following after Jesus. And too many of us make that verbal decision. Maybe it's an emotional decision or an impassioned decision. But oftentimes we leave it on Easter Sunday. I felt like it was imperative that we take a few weeks to talk about responding to that lifting of our hand or that speaking of our voice to make a decision to follow hard after him. I wanted to give us an opportunity to say, how do we respond appropriately to what God has called us to and this process. So I started a series called RSVP. If you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Luke, chapter 24. Répondez s'il vous plaît. How do we respond appropriately to the Lord? I love this. This passage in Luke takes place quite literally moments after the empty tomb story. So Mary and her friends show up to this tomb. They look inside. It's empty. They run to get Peter and John. Peter and John run to the tomb, and they find equally that it's empty. And and, and some different accounts will say, you know, there was a a gardener, or there was somebody, an angel sitting on top of the stone, or or, or whatever it was. There are different accounts. You know what I love about the Bible? Uh, if, if the Bible was going to be fake, let me tell you this, that the, here's what investigators will tell you, that when somebody's story matches exactly, it's probably not correct. In other words, what happens in a lot of inv- people is that they'll say, hey, by the way, the car was blue and he ran through the intersection before me. Make sure you tell them that when they ask you the question. And everything gets the same, and there's always room for a big mistake. I love the fact that the Bible says this, that there are different accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of this resurrection moment when the tomb was empty. And they all saw it from a different vantage point. Some people have said, well, it's because uh, they were making it up. And I'm saying because they're from a different vantage point, they all see something just a little different. Uh, we all do the same thing, right? I can tell you uh, to, uh, of an example in history of uh, when... Uh, Oh, I don't know, 9-11 happened. Where were you sitting and what were you thinking and what did you see? And we all have a, a, an image in our mind of that moment because it was etched in us. It's the same way with this resurrection story. They all have a moment in a, mission, a vision. And the longer time goes by, the more clear or unclear those stories can become. But the fact that they were written down early enough, they were able to, to get down a good understanding of this. So just after that moment in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, was the idea, the story of the empty tomb and Mary and, and James and or John and Peter, rather, seeing the empty tomb. And it says down here in verse 13, 
That same day, so this is Resurrection Sunday, says this, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking along. They were talking about everything that had happened. Suddenly, Jesus himself came along and joined them and began walking beside them. But they didn't know who he was because God kept them from recognizing him. Pause. Wait a minute. These are Jesus' followers and they didn't recognize Jesus following them? How is that possible? How is it possible that their, their, their leader, their master, their savior literally was crucified in front of them? They saw it all and then they walked beside him and they, they didn't recognize How is that possible? Let me tell you how it's possible. Here's how it's possible. God kept them from seeing who he was. It says God kept them in verse 16, but they didn't know who he was because God kept them from recognizing him. How is it possible? He blinded their eyes. He somehow confused them. He made them stop and realize that they didn't know who it was. Why did he do that? I don't know. It just makes me stop and think, are there times when the Holy Spirit or somebody would... Remember the Bible says, don't forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing it, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Did you know the Bible says that? In other words, uh, like God can do anything he wants to, right? He could be anywhere he wants to, however he wants to. The power of the Holy Spirit can do anything. I think sometimes we get this idea that we're pretty smart, smarter than God at times. Verse 17, Jesus is talking and he says this, You seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you so concerned about? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened in the last few days. What things, Jesus said? The things that happened to Jesus from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did, who did wonderful miracles. He was a mighty teacher, highly regarded by both God and people. Verse 20, But our leading priests and other religious leaders arrested him and handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. By the way, pause. I love the fact that they didn't say that the Romans did it. It says that the religious leaders did it. Go down to verse 21. We had thought that the Messiah, we thought that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. That all happened three days ago. Then some of the women from our group of his followers went to his tomb early this morning. And they came back with an amazing report. They said that his body was missing and that they had seen an angel who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, Jesus' body was gone, just as the women said. Then Jesus said to them, you're such foolish people. You find so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clear? Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah would have to suffer all of these things before entering his time of glory? Then Jesus quoted passages from the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining all that the Scripture said about himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus, the end of the, the, end of the journey. And, and Emmaus and the end of the journey. Jesus would have gone on. But they begged him to stay the night with them since, he was, since it was getting late. So, they went home, so he went home with them. They sat down to eat. He took a small loaf of bread, asked God to bless his blessings on it. He broke it, gave it to them, and suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. At that moment, he disappeared. Then they said to each other, Didn't our hearts feel strangely warm as he talked to us on the road and explained what the Scripture said to us? And within within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. 
where the 11 disciples where the 11 disciples and the followers of Jesus were gathered when they arrived they were greeted with the report that the lord has risen and he appeared to peter how many have never read this passage before some of you how many have read this passage before and went what <laughs> what like what's this really about I love that the Bible is so, there's so much here that we could just blow past. I mean, mean, quite frankly, who are these guys walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and why does it matter? (laughs) Why, of all the people who were distraught, there were 11 guys who who were recognized as the apostles, like Jesus didn't show up to them right away. He shows up to basically a guy named Cleopas and an unknown guy, friend on their way to a place called Emmaus. Why? So we can read past this and think to ourselves, well, just because God wanted to reveal something. Let me tell you this. Every, listen to this very closely. Every single word in the Bible was written and inspired by his Holy Spirit. And it's there for a purpose and a reason. I believe with all my heart that there's something here God wants us to see literally, and I think it's about how to respond appropriately to this message of hope that he's given us. I love when I read this passage of scripture how clear it is that Jesus wants us to be. Sometimes I read this story and and it seems so crazy to me, right? I mean, it starts out that Jesus interrupts their conversation Then Jesus rebukes them for not believing what they should have believed. Then Jesus goes to their house for dinner. Then as they start eating dinner, he vanishes. And I think about this, I was like, duh, that'd be a horrible movie script. You know, but weird, right? Like, you just kind of read that, and every time you read the Bible like this, you think to yourself, like, what's this about? Like, where are you heading with this? I love this. How to respond appropriately. Listen to what it says in verse 13. If we're going to respond appropriately, the first thing we need to do is look for Jesus on our pathway. Look for Jesus on your road, right? Listen to this, verse, 20, uh, verse 13. That same day, Jesus' followers were walking to a village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. I love this. These are two guys who are obviously distraught, obviously downtrodden, obviously bummed out that this thing happened. Now remember, like it was a different day. It was different than, than what we know today. It was, a, it was a small village, a small town, Jerusalem. Several thousand people showed up during the Passover. So the city is still bustling, right? Keep in mind, it's less than a week since everyone was shouting Hosanna and waving big old palm branches and yelling as Jesus came riding into the town on a donkey. A few days after that, he was crucified. The rest of this, it hasn't even been a full week yet, and, they, and these two guys are leaving town going, what just happened? I mean, their lives were like, yay, Jesus is awesome. Now he's dead. Oh, man. You got to know what's going on in their life, right? I mean, you got to imagine. Have you ever had something in your life just absolutely get shipwrecked? And you're like, I don't even know what to do. I had a great job. I got fired. Now I'm all alone, and I'm, I'm, and I'm about to declare bankruptcy. Ah, everything was going great, and then nothing. I love the fact that this story just depicts the, the, the beautiful imagery of Jesus showing up. Jesus showed up to these guys that had no hope. Jesus showed up to these guys. And by the way, I love it. He says that he came walking along as they were walking on the way to Emmaus. Right? Cars were too expensive back then. So they had to walk, right? Seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They walked, right? And as they were walking, it's pretty common that people would like to bump into each other and yuck it up on the way. Hmm. Seven miles. 
something about that. If we're going to respond appropriately, we need to look for Jesus on our journey. Jesus shows up in your journey. By the way, get this. There's something about the, the, every single word meaning something in the Bible. I looked up the word Emmaus. Emmaus is a little town seven miles from Jerusalem. Emmaus was kind of a nondescript little town. You and I would read by it and not even think anything of it. Emmaus was this place that, uh, for, for some reason, people would live, but it was just outside the city that was maybe more agrarian, more, more uh, shepherd, shepherds or whatever it was. But it was out there kind of a ways away, right? not in the middle of town, but it was a bit out there. Emmaus is only mentioned one time in the Bible. Josephus, a historian, tells us a little bit more about the things that happened in this little town called Emmaus. It's interesting. If the average Jewish person were to read about Emmaus, they would have drawn an eyebrow raise. Because there was an inside story that everyone knew that we don't. You see, 2,000 years from now, Somebody is going to hear the phrase, Twin Towers 9-11, and have no idea what it means. We all hear that phrase, Twin Towers 9-11, and immediately can, can, can raise passion, it can it raise hatred, it can, it can raise fear, it, it can raise caution, it can, all that stuff, but it elicits some sort of an emotion in our lives, because it wasn't long ago. You see, in Emmaus, something happened that every Jewish reader in that time would have known. 150 years before this moment, there was a battle in Emmaus called that the Battle of Emmaus. Luke chapter 24 mentions Emmaus, interestingly enough. There was a guy 150 years before this. Listen to this. So Jesus leaves Jerusalem. He shows up miraculously. These two guys are walking to a little town, a nondescript town called Emmaus. Why? Why would Jesus show up and do that? I got a funny feeling it's this. There was, a, there was a, 150 years before this, there was a battle in Emmaus led by a guy named Judas Maccabeus. Judas Maccabeus. He was the one that, talked, uh, that showed up what, what was called the Maccabean Revolt. Maybe you've heard of that. The Maccabean Revolt came as the result of this leader named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes was this horrible uh, hater of Jews. Antiochus Epiphanes IV actually came in and he said, I want to slaughter, it literally one of the beginnings of a holocaust of Jewish people in Emmaus. It happened in Emmaus when thousands, hundreds if not thousands of Jewish people were killed in Emmaus by this Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a guy who was just a, a whore. He was like Hitler and then some. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous, horrible. So a guy named Judas Maccabeus came along and he, he rose up in what was called the Maccabean Revolt and fought against this, this Epiphanes guy and, and overthrew him and ended up saving a bunch of Jewish people. Fast forward a couple thousand years, well, 150 years. 150 years is not that long ago. Our country is only a couple hundred years old, right? You know, not that long ago. So in that process, get this, Jewish people knew about Emmaus. They knew Emmaus was that place, that place, that place where horrific things happened, that place where our grandpa and grandma and cousins were killed. Jesus shows up, raised from the dead, on the road to Emmaus. 
a seven-mile journey. I don't know much about numerology except for the fact that when seven shows up in the Bible, it's a number representing completeness or wholeness or finality. Imagine Jesus showing up trying to communicate a message to to, to people who would read it for the first time, and, and the message being this, that Jesus raises from the dead on his way to Emmaus to communicate to any Jewish person not only did, Jew, did, did this uh, Maccabean revolt take place and save some Jewish people, I came to finish the job and absolutely set free anyone who would ask. See, the road to Emmaus wasn't some nondescript, uh, just two guys showing up, one guy with the name, one guy without. Literally, Jesus was saying, I know your journey. I know the path you travel. I know the pain you've experienced. I know the shame that you walk under. But I came to completely finish setting you free. See, how do you respond to the Lord? Look for Jesus in your journey. See, some of you show up with the pain of of childhood and maybe the the craziness of things that happened and you're like, yeah, but that's a dark part of my life. I don't want to look at that. I'm here to tell you that Jesus would walk along that seven-mile journey and complete the course with you to set you free in your head. Some of you have had the the unfortunate experience and the loss of somebody close to you who have passed. And you're like, I don't even know how to deal with this pain. I don't know how to deal anymore. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus knows your path. He knows your journey. He came to set it all free for you. The road to Emmaus was literally a story of of people of of inside knowledge of the Maccabean revolt or this, this crazy thing that happened with this Uh, this epiphanies dude and all the craziness that happened with Jews being slaughtered and Jesus saying I rose from the dead to show you I know the journey that you experienced and I'm here to set your heart at peace sit down with my friend Carol Taylor last week and it's interesting she she walked in the the, the, the office and I said how you doing she said I'm at peace and it dawned on me isn't that the cry of all of our heart? That everyone, isn't it the deepest cry of our heart that we would know peace? Why do we want to have a solid bank account? Peace. Why do we want to have a great marriage? Peace. Why do we want to have good kids? Peace. Why do we want to have a nice house? Peace. Everything really comes down to this culmination of a desire for just to know peace. I read this story of Emmaus. I've never seen it before, but, but I saw this picture of Jesus showing up on the journey and saying, just want everyone to know I've been there and I paid the price and I want you to know that I know that you know that I know that you know I know you know and it's done live in peace I got two other points to tell you but I feel like I'm supposed to stop I think I'm supposed to stop because there are people today who have been living in anything but peace You've been living in turmoil. You've been living in pain. You've been living under shame. You've been living under this tyranny of I can't get enough and do enough and and work enough and try enough. And I'm here to tell you, you're not supposed to. I believe the message for you today is this, to rest in peace. Knowing that Jesus already knows your journey. The question is, is can you recognize him on the pathway? I love it as they walked along. You know, uh, Jesus says, clearly you're concerned about something. What are you talking about? What does that show us? It 
shows us that Jesus knows your conversations. He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. He knows the things that you struggle with. I kind of think he knows what you're thinking. When we say, God, I don't know if you're big enough. I don't know if you can provide. I don't know if you can fix this crazy mess I've gotten myself into. I'm here to tell you, he's a good God. He's been to your Emmaus. He has seen the havoc that's been wreaked on you. He has seen the crazy pile of, of, of garbage that's been left behind. And he's saying, I'm here to let you know that I'll travel a complete journey to get into your life if you'll allow me to. I love it. They invited Jesus home to their house. They invited him in. And, and keep in mind, I don't know, I wonder why God blinded them or kept them from seeing Except for the fact that it kind of makes me think how it is for us. How we kind of journey on our course and we're kind of like, we know God can hear us. We know God can see us. But we never really include God much in our conversation when we're complaining. We're kind of like, God, whatever, you know, I'll complain to other people and tell them how much I'm hurting and how much pain I'm dealing with. But the whole time, I think he's saying, that's how it is for you and I. Why don't you go ahead and turn your complaint into prayer and say, God, I need you. I need you to help me journey this course. Mm. Emmaus, a picture of God saying, I'll take what was wrong and make it right, but will you rest in trusting me for that? I think that's the message for us today. Where in your life have you not recognized Jesus on the journey? Where have you not allowed Jesus to show up on your pathway of pain and hurt and shame? And struggle. Maybe that's the message for you today is simply saying, Jesus, I'll, I, I open up my life to you and, and I'll allow you into the deepest struggles of my life. And you show up and help me journey this course. Let's pray. God, there's so much that we could go into. But Lord, as we look at the, the pain that was wrought on that little town, that nondescript town, and how, Jesus, you came as your first act after being resurrected and literally walk on the scene and come to communicate a complete message to a bunch of people, to just a couple guys on their journey. Lord, i got to believe that there are men and women here today who, who are journeying in a course financially. Maybe they're journeying a course relationally. God, clearly we're all in this process of walking and every one of us can see at the end of our journey trouble, hardship, difficulty. Or we can see what it is that you've done of healing and restoration and wholeness and peace. I pray today that we would rest knowing you. Just quietly as you stand here before the Lord, as you sit here before God, I want you to just say to him, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you with my, my Emmaus, that place in my life that has been painful, that place in my life that I can't seem to get rid of. I trust you with all of that, that you will bring understanding, you'll bring healing. And literally all you said was to invite us into your, invite you into our, our life, our home that you would take care of that. As you have your eyes closed and your heads bowed, maybe you're here today. 
and you've never invited Jesus into that journey with you. You've never surrendered your life to him. You've raised your hands at church, you sang the songs, but you've never surrendered your life to Jesus for real. You feel like you're journeying in this Emmaus course all by yourself. And you've never really said, Jesus, I need you and, and give your life over to him. If that's you today, I want you to just say that. Jesus, I surrender. Surrender my life to you. Maybe it's been a while. And today's message is for you to respond right. And your response to him is just, Jesus, you got me. I am a Christian, but I've not been walking with you. I know I have an Emmaus, an Emmaus that's filled with pain, an Emmaus that's filled with with mistakes, an Emmaus that's filled with hurt, an Emmaus that's filled with bad decisions. But I know how much you love me. So forgive me for trying to journey it by myself. If that's you, just say, Jesus, I rededicate my life to following you. And I start today. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right.